0: The spirit has been styled up in this house this morning. The nine o'clock, wow. Man, I encourage you. Sometimes people will come in and get both doses in. Uh, of what God is doing but I just want to share with you because a lot of you do not get to see what all God does and obviously in the nine o'clock and next week it's cool because you will have that opportunity but I encourage you anytime to come and check out what God's doing and uh, the Lord is building his church and so we're very excited about that and next Sunday we will be together so let me say a word about that uh, we will be together next Sunday uh, as one faith family in here worshiping together and i um, and so basically, it's going to be a very exciting day. Uh, it's the time of year that we're moving into where we're reminded of how God, how good God has been to us and that He gave us the greatest gifts. So it's a time of the year uh, where our hearts should be moved to to be giving and to have giving hearts and to be reminded of the purpose and the plan that God has for us as individuals and then corporately as a church, that He has a specific Plan. And so, we're going to be talking about next Sunday, and this is something we're going to do. The Spirit's letting me do every year at this time of year, towards the end of the year, we're going to be doing a service like this. And so, what next Sunday is going to be like is we'll come together as one faith family because our heartbeat is to be one church for all generations, which leads to our objective of helping people find direction in life. And we will be in here together, and we're going to be talking about We Believe 2016 as we go into the new church year. We're going to be talking about what God has done, what He's doing, what He's going to do. Now, the best part for you is, is that I'm going to do the minority of the talking. That's reason enough to show up next week, okay? To say, is that really true? Can we believe that? But uh, we're very excited because you're going to be hearing more than, uh, you're going to be hearing most from our lay people. And so we're going to have testimonies up here from our lay people that's going to be sharing uh, about why they believe in the vision that God is giving to us as a church uh, and why they believe and why they're committed and why even that commitment is, is more than just lip service. It's in all areas of totally surrendering to God, realizing this. And this is what we want you as the lay people to rally around and wrap around and believe that above any other purpose for you to be living in the shadows of this steeple in this local church, God has placed you here to be a lighthouse and to help advance the gospel of Jesus Christ in this community and throughout the world. We want you, the lay people, to to come and buy into that concept and to see that that's more important than anything else on your weekly agenda that we come together as a faith family because it's the reason God left us and why Jesus said, Lord, don't take them out of the world. Leave them in the world, that they can be my hands and feet. And so that's the aim and goal of next uh, Sunday. And so we are going to have testimonies. We are going to have a time of of, of praise and worship. It's going to be pretty cool because you're going to get to see the vision, not just hear about it, but you're going to get to see the vision, even on this stage uh, next Sunday as our youth band comes and you'll be able to see what God's doing. All through that, and we're raising up a younger generation uh, so that the heartbeat and the work of the kingdom can go beyond us and so that we can be faithful. And leaving a legacy, and I'll say, boy, I'm tempted to get into it right now, but just I'll paint a picture in my brief time next Sunday of what God is doing in the life of this church and how he's building it off the Lord Jesus as a foundation, but then coming along behind our sweet, sweet senior adults and saints that have paid a price to get to where we're at so that we can experience the freedom that we have. And to get to a place to say, you know what, we will be faithful when others may not want us to be in more ministry and missions focused. We will be faithful to the cause. And so God's brought a unity and a sweet spirit in this place like I've never seen before. And He's building His church. And you say, Pastor, what can we do? Just commit. You know what can we do? Just give him your all. What can we do to make this place more electrifying and contagious for God's glory? Hold nothing back from him. Bring your very best because he brought his very best to each one of us, and that's why we rejoice. Well, now let's get into December series. All right, It's always an exciting time of the year. I love Christmas. Anybody else love Christmas? I absolutely love Christmas. But let me tell you what I hate. This is supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year, and it can become the most stressful time of the year with all the commercialism and getting ready for Christmas. i got any Witnesses in the house, like Bah humbug! All right, some of y'all like me when it comes to figuring out those, you know, twenty-year-old plus Christmas tree every year, dragging out of the attic, every little piece, you know, methodically has to go back into place. And but it's so sentimental and beautiful once you get it put up and it all comes together, right? And so, but it's a it is a great time of the year, and so we are to be reminded as Christians. Um, we we know the reason for the season if you're a Christ follower. And we want to keep that first and foremost. And no, I'm not anti-commercialism to Christmas and all those things. I'm just saying that we've got to let the world know who Jesus is and that Chris, Christ has to be in Christmas for it to be Christmas. It's not just any other uh, celebration or holiday. And so we get that and so my series is entitled, The Promised Son, uh, is the title of my series through uh, this, uh, the weeks that we go into Christmas, and I want you to know this about God, okay? God is sovereign. Now what that means is He's all-knowing. And so when we talk about the Promised Son and you see the capital S, there's only one Promised Son with a capital S that everything can be built on, okay? Even though I will be talking to you today about other Promised Sons in the Bible, but what I want you to hear about is it had nothing to do with them like Isaac. It had everything to do with God's original pur- purpose and God's original promise and God's original plan to how he would bring about this life that we now rejoice and receive through a baby in Bethlehem who came to die on a cross and conquer death, hell, and the grave. It's all because of that Savior, capital S, and that capital Son that we can embrace basically the grace that God has for us. And and so in the beginning, okay, in the beginning, God the Father was not alone. Did you know that? In the beginning, God the Father was not alone. In the triune Godhead, there was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so the, the, the Christ the Son was involved in the creation of the world. And so what we need to understand is is that the first time we see Bethlehem and we see Jesus come, we need to realize it's not the first time Jesus ever existed and that God created him. He was involved with the creation of the world, and God had a plan, and God made a promise, and he brought him. But before we get to Jesus in Bethlehem, we see other promises all throughout the Bible where God is reminding us as his children that he's sovereign, he's in control, he has a promise, and he has a plan. But what we're going to find out this morning is, and we're hopefully to stretch us individually is, is what happens when God is calling us to follow him in faith and God is going to stretch our faith and God wants us to take us to places where we're anchored in our faith that we will not take matters into our own hands and we will trust in him more than we trust in ourselves. Because that's what we see happen in the passage today in Genesis as we talk about the promised son Isaac. Because it was Abraham, it was Abram, who God changed his name to Abraham, who followed after God. And God made him some promises. And one of those promises was is that he promised him he was going to give him a son. Now, the reason that once you understand the context, and I understand everybody hasn't heard this story before, but in the context, Abraham uh, basically was 99, right, 100 years of age when this promise was to be brought to fruition in his life. His wife, Sarah, was 90 years of age. But God makes him this promise, and God tells him that he's going to basically give him a son, because at the point, uh, Abram is concerned about it, so he's looking at one of his uh, servants to say, well, who's going to be my heir? Who am I going to leave this all behind with? And so God says, I'm going to give you a son. And already, Abraham had tried to start figuring out a way who was going to get the inheritance, who was going to take over. So here is the takeaway today. If you don't get anything, this is the reason we give these takeaways, okay, knowing that you can't retain all this and, and, and it's a process. But if you don't get anything, get this takeaway today because God spoke this into my heart and spirit, and, man, it sure has helped me, I promise you. The message today has been for me as much as anybody. But here's the takeaway. God will lead us to situations that seem impossible to show us that only He can do the impossible. God will lead us to situations that seem impossible to show us that only He can do the impossible. And that's what you're going to find in your life if you strive to follow God. And Him accomplish His will through your life. Now, if you just call and say, I'm not going to do that, I'm going to do what I want to do with my life, well, then you will never have your faith strengthened. You will never face impossibility for where God can show you what He can do and what is possible through your life. And so the key is is that we trust Him, we grow in our faith, and we're going to see that. So before we move into Genesis 18, I want to preface this with Genesis 15, 3 through 6, what is going on, because God is speaking to Abram in chapter 12, and when His name was Abram and he said Abram he says, it's time to leave and and Abram says you know kind of like it's time to what it's time to leave we'll we'll leave what this is all I know and did you know out of this room right here 67 percent of people statistically speaking do not like leaving the known to go to the unknown did you know that you just don't like it by nature. It's in the nature of people not to not to like to go to the unknown. We like what is known. We like what is comfortable. We do not like change. The majority of people do not like change. And God called Abram and said, you are going to leave this land of Herod. You're going to leave your father, Terah, who is worshiping false gods. And you're going to go to a new land, and you're going to worship the one true God. So this is like big stuff right here. But this is, hey... Did you know it's big stuff when you were walking in your sin and God opened your eyes to his love and mercy and grace and the consequences of sin and he drew you to his love and he changed your life and you pulled up the stakes to say, God, I'm going to walk with you now and not the world. That was big stuff. Amen? And he's a big God so he can handle the big stuff. But when we try to handle the big stuff, then there's consequences. And we pay greatly. But he tells him in Genesis 15, 3 through 6, and Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring. Abram talking to God here, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And look at verse six. Well, listen to verse six. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him, counted it to him as righteousness. As righteousness. God will lead us to situations that seem impossible to show us that only he can do the impossible. He told Abram, look up, look at the stars. I don't know if you've ever had that opportunity, and you probably to slow down, but last night I did, and we were outside, and Ella was out there with her friend Sydney, and we were by the fireplace, and we were roasting marshmallows, and they were playing on the swing set, and it had gotten dark, and it was cooling off and gotten cooler, and I was sitting in my happy chair, which is one of those that just, you just, it's anointed of God because you sit down in it, and you kick it back, and it leans back, and you can lock it in, you know what I'm saying, and I, and I kicked back, and I looked up through the trees, and I saw all those beautiful stars. And then Ella comes over and she, and rather than play with her, she sees that I'm kicked back by the fire. And she comes over and gets her little frozen blanket and sings, Do you want to build a snowman? I was like, No, I like the fire. And I'm just kidding. All right. She comes over with her frozen blanket and she sits down in my lap. And she's like, she said, Daddy, just kick back. Just kick back. And so I just kick back with my little seven-year-old. And we're wrapped up in that frozen blanket by the fire. And I'm just sitting there checking out all the stars. And I thought, Wow, the promises of God, the heavens declare his glory. God told Abram to look up the first person he had ever told historically that looked up and saw the stars that he created. And he said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bring you a promise. He said, I'm going to basically use you and your obedience and your faith and your life to bring such blessing to the world. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you in a mighty, mighty way. So I want to give you some impossible situations, all right, so that you can see in Scripture. And then I want you to look. I don't know what your impossible situation looks like. I can share with you my impossible situations that the enemy tell me are impossible. But you have to look deep down within yourself and go, what is my impossible situation? For some of you, your impossible situation is this marriage is just not going to work. It is absolutely not possible. For some of you, it's my child is never going to come back home. It's just not possible. For some of you, it's, I'm never going to be able to break this habit or this addiction. It's just simply impossible. For some of you, it's, I'm never going to be able to totally surrender my entire life to God and trust Him in every area of my life because it just seems impossible. How many of you know with God all things are possible? All things, guys. All things, and that's what God wants to start in our spirit. So the first impossible situation is a promised son. A promised son is a first apostle possible situation because God comes and he speaks to Abraham. And what is happening before we get to our key text of chapter 18 today is in chapter 12. We said he calls him out and then he's doing some work in his life. He's stretching Abraham. He's stretching his faith and he's going to use him in a mighty way. All of this comes right behind this great uh, scattering where God has to come down and scatter man because man is starting to live more for man's glory than they are for God's glory. At the, at the Tower of Babel. So he brings us to vision, and then he starts moving in the life of Abraham to say, "I, this is part of my plan and part of my promise. And so basically we see that in chapter 15, God makes this co- covenant with Abram, and God does remind Abram that he's going to bless him and give him a son, and that the son's not going to be his servant. Where somewhere along the way, Abraham involves Sarai, before her name was changed to Sarah, and he involves her in this conversation evidently. And so this is where a huge mistake is made. Sarai takes things and matters, and Abram too, because he had to be a part of that, they take matter into their own hands, the matters into their own hands, and they say, okay, well, you're gonna have a son. Well, here's how we're gonna do this thing. Here's how we're gonna make this possible. And so rather than waiting, because the Bible says good things come to those who what? Wait on the Lord. <laughs> it's hard to wait on the Lord. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's very difficult. To wait on the Lord. Very difficult. But good things come to those who wait on the Lord. But rather than waiting, Sarah says, well, well, I'll tell you what. Yeah, You want a son? All right, the only way that's going to happen, she took matters into her own hands of my strength and my ability and my power because I'm barren and, and I'm old. And the only way this is going to happen is, um, is that you're going to have to lie with Hagar, my maidservant, because Sarah goes, I'm 76 years old at this point. I wait a minute, I thought she was 90. I'm talking about when she took matters into her own hands. She was probably 76 years old. Abram was 86 years old. And she said, lie with Hagar, my maidservant, and said, basically, then you can have a son. Well, here's what happens when you take matters into your own hands and you don't wait on God and you don't trust God. They followed through with their plan. But when this child was conceived and Hagar took this child and the way she looked at this child, there was great animosity and bitterness that come in the life of Sarah. Because she was jealous and envious toward this child. That proving and depicting that when you take matters into your own hands, you're never going to have a peace that passeth all understanding because you're not letting God direct and build your life the way he wants to build it. And so she was envious and she was jealous. And so, so they took matters into their own hands. And then in Genesis 18, Abram has been for 13 years, okay? For 13 years, 86 to 99, he's been rocking along really in his mind, I think, believing that Ishmael is his promised son. There are some people confused today that still believe Ishmael was his promised son. But the Torah and the Bible is very clear that Ishmael wasn't God's promised son, that Ishmael never was intended to be where the promise would come through and the offspring would be blessed, that it would be Isaac. And so when he's 99 years old, Abram receives another call, and he actually receives a visit. Look at chapter 18, verse 9 through 19, and you'll see this visit from the Lord basically in this representation of three men coming to Abram, Abraham because he had changed his name by this time in chapter 17. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely, everybody say surely. surely. I will surely return, he said, to you about this time Next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women has ceased to be with Sarah. In other words, in short term today, that means God, I can't get pregnant. Abraham, it ain't happening, all right. And so God's in the message says it is going to happen. And so basically, Sarah. Look at verse twelve. Sarah laughed herself, saying, "After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure?" The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Look at verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I'll return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh. Liar, liar, pants on fire. All right. For she was afraid. Fear causes you to lie, doesn't it? It's more not to have a spirit of fear. He said, no, but you did laugh. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom. Now remember, Sodom is this wicked place. So in the middle of God calling Abram out to be a part of this promise and to initiate uh, uh, walking in faith and obedience so that he could bless him and bring him a promised son, everything's not rosy and great and grand. There is wickedness. There is violence taking place. There is people uh, uh, that are, are loving the same sex. There is all types of issues going around in this uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and wickedness and, and, and violence. And I would love to stand up here today and tell you all that as blessed as we've been in this country and to have not had to have much of that, that we are not ever going to see an increase in violence. But you know I can't stand up here and tell you that, don't you? Because you've turned the news on over the last couple of days. And so, what we need to know is, is we got to make sure we know the God of promise. We got to make sure we know that we hear clearly from God and what He wants for us as a Christian American, not an American Christian. And you are about to find out the difference in those two. That's another message. But what God wants the Christian American to know is that he's sovereign, he's in control, and nothing's catching him off guard that's going on. He's got the whole world in his hand. He's not caught off guard. Satan always plays into his hand. Violence is going to increase in the latter days. So we have to look to God. So what do we do? Do we just sit back and say, well, let it increase. I'm not going to get my pistol permit. Well, I am, I did. Because I have a right, a God-given right. I have a right to protect myself and my family. But now where the fine line is that I also have a right and a command to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to speak the truth in love. And to follow the Spirit and know the difference when I am protecting myself as God would lead me to protect myself, and when I am walking in love and the authority of God's Word, even if it calls for my life, like it did and has done, and as I preached this service, did happen to martyrs who gave their life for the cause of the gospel. So God wants us to know, hey, I'm sovereign, I'm in control, I have a promise, that promise is being brought to fruition, you are a part of that promise through your faith and obedience and I initiated and started this promise through Abram following after me and Abram being obedient is where I initiated uh, this promised son for Abram and I've been at work through Abraham and Father Abraham had many sons, and we won't do the song. So this is what's going on. A promised son, impossible situation. And God says, with me, nothing is impossible. And he brings this to be, and he begins to work it out. Sarah laughed. She was afraid. The men set out, verse 16, from there to Sodom. Abram went with them to send them on their way. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely, there, surely again, Become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has, everybody say promise. What he has promised. And so God is going to bring about his promises. And when God makes a promise, get this, when God makes a promise to you and when God made a promise to Abraham, deity trumps details every time. Now, when you think about that, if you're like me, when God makes a promise to you, for instance, if if your marriage is struggling, okay, and God makes a promise to you, that I ordained this, I own it, Christ is to be at the center of it, and if you'll follow those three patterns, I'm going to save your marriage. Deity trumps details every time. But if you're like Sarah, and you're like me, and you're like just about everybody else probably, you tend to want to take that matter into your own hands, and you tend to want to focus on the details of how in the world that can happen, rather than trusting in the deity who said, I will make it happen. So we focus on the details, or we focus on down the road, how is this going to be possible? How am, I, how am I going to make this happen? How are we going to have a son? Oh, I'm going to get involved and make this happen. We, we make the same mistake, and we've got to be patient. We've got to wait on God. So deity trumps details every time when God makes a promise and he's behind the promise. Do we trust in God to fulfill that promise in our life? Do we trust that God can make our marriage stronger? Do we trust that God can meet our every need? Do we trust that God is the only one that can help us in helpless situations? He can help us better than anyone else. And that's what God wants us to learn because God is about God. The reason God loves leading us to impossible situations to show us that only He can do the impossible is so that we never get to a point in our life where we can pat ourselves on the back and say, well, just look what I did. Just look how smart I am. Look how wonderful I am. Look how great I am. Because God made it clear in the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other, what? God's before me. And he said that in a context where they were taking, uh, and they were building um, altars and, and, and calves, and golden calves, and they were worshiping him. So many times our mind wants to go back and say, well, I've never built a golden calf. Did you know the number one little G God that is put before Jehovah God is yourself and myself? Yep. You, can I give you one way that you can make a God out of yourself and put it above God? I'm going to give you one simple way that the majority's done it. The majority's done it. Majority of who? Majority of Christ followers have done it. They've put in their purpose and their kingdom before God's kingdom. They've forgotten the very purpose and the only purpose that God left them on this earth. And Jesus said, Leave them, don't take them out. One purpose. One purpose, to fulfill the work of the kingdom, the great commission, and for those who have yet to come that they may know Christ. That's the only purpose. Not to build the greatest collegiate athletes in your family. Not to make the most money in your family. Not to aspire to the highest man-made, you know, man-praising things in your life. So one purpose that I've left them for And if they'll honor that, then God says, I will work through them. So when God makes a promise, deity trumps details every time because it's all about God's design. God can give a son when it seems impossible. God cannot lie. Aren't you thankful for this? God cannot lie because it's not in his nature. God cannot lie. How about this? (laughs) This one amazes me. But this is what I love about this book. God cannot hate those he created even when they sin because it's not in his nature. You say, why are you so emphatic about that? Because the other book that's in opposition to this book that many are following, called the Quran, the Quran, however you want to pronounce it, it teaches that God hates those who do not line up with the teaching of Islam. That's not my God. It's not my God. That's why we've got to be obedient to taking God's word, which is the message of love, speak the truth in love, and pray for me. Because sometimes, and the opportunities to do that, I get a little confused sometimes. I don't get confused, but sometimes my American comes out in me a little more than sometimes maybe my loving Christian, if you know what I'm talking about. And so I'm like, God, give us wisdom. Give us wisdom on how to do this. Give us wisdom on how to stand and honor you as a Christian. Give us wisdom on how to stand in these trying times in our country as Americans with right who want to keep this country free, who do not want the violence and the terrorism. God, give us wisdom. So pray for me, because there's another message for another day. But I keep going back to book against book, and I keep going back to this. Did you know, no matter what any politician says, With what's going on in our country no matter how we try to dismiss that this is a war on religion let me tell you this is a war between a guy capital l loser lucifer from the beginning and a war between the capital g god dark and light are coming together and there's a battle over man's soul clear and cut i don't care what you want to say that is where the real battle lies it always has been it's on the increase But remember, remember, the thing you can rest in, Christian, is the love that God has for you, the love God has for others and everybody. And just because they may not fall under in alignment with his love, he is not teaching you and he is not teaching me to execute, take them out, or to kill them. And remember this. That even though this other religion will say that you have the freedom, there's no compulsion uh, in in, in religion. If you are a part of that religion and you denounce that religion, family members will kill you. And there's proof. That's, That's not a message of freedom. That's not a message of love. And so we have a responsibility to know and then to seek God on sin. How do we we minister in this situation? But God cannot lie because it's not in his nature. God cannot hate man. He hates sin, but he can't hate man because it's not in his nature. Therefore, there's no way I could align my belief system or philosophy with something that would teach hate against man or hate against people. So Abraham... Had to learn this lesson. And we can mess up big time when we take matters into our own hands. And that's what happened to him in chapter 16 when he was 86. They took matters into their own hands. He went 13 years And in that 13 years, Bible scholars say they don't see much of an altar building time that it seemed like things were going in Abraham's life that are mentioned because it's possible that he took matters into his own own hands. He thought things were going away, uh, that they should go. He forsaken getting around around the altar, and then God came back to him and speaks to him in this passage at 99 and says, I'm going to give you a son, and it's not Ishmael. It's the promised son, Isaac. Do you ever struggle with being patient and waiting on God? (laughs) I know I do. We just have to remember that God is faithful and his promises always come true. Second impossible situation, real quick, is a painful sacrifice. A painful sacrifice. In Abram's life, God gives him this promise someday. Here's what I want you to see in the beauty of this picture. I'm only going to just briefly mention what happens in Genesis chapter 22. But in this painful sacrifice an impossible situation, God speaks to Abraham, and when Isaac's about around 15 years of age uh, or teenager, he says, look, I want you to get up in the morning, and I want you to take Isaac up to Mount Moriah, and I want you to put him on the altar, and I want you to slay him. Now notice, what you don't see in Scripture at this journey is where Abraham looked at Sarah and said, you're not going to believe what God just told me about our promised son. I think he looked back at the kind of whole Hagar situation, and you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it didn't work too good for us. But notice he's growing in his faith, guys. It's a process. It's a process. See, sometimes you sit out there and you go, you don't know my marriage, pastor. (laughs) You don't know my situation at work. You don't know my family upbringing. Hey, let me tell you, it's a process. And if you'll trust God, and simply just walk in obedience every day and quit worrying about the details and worship deity and focus on deity, God will give you increased faith to get through your situation. But you know as well as I do, when you focus on the details of how am I going to survive this, how am I going to get out, how is my marriage going to get stronger, how is my wayward child going to be brought home, when you start focusing on that, the enemy automatically has you influenced because he gets you focusing on the details rather than the God of the details, which is God in, the, in focusing on the deity. So he tells Abraham listen to this. He says, Take your son, your only son. Declaring not that he was saying, Hey, Ishmael, I'm not even calling him your son, because he knows he had a son. He said, Take your son, your only son, declaring that basically Isaac was the promised son and the only son, that God was going to bless him and multiply his descendants as numerous of the stars. Take your son, your only son. Now here's what I want you to see about his process and his journey of growing in his faith to remind you to be encouraged. It's a process. Abraham didn't always get it right. But his obedience and his faithfulness shows that he's following God more and more and he's making right more more right decisions. And God's blessing him for it. Here's what Abraham says. He takes him, his servant so far, saddles a donkey, gets the wood. They go, and he gets to a place, and he looks up, and he sees Mount Moriah. This, this difficult, difficult mountain, but more than difficult, the mountain to climb was the test at hand. And he tells his servants to wait. He says, Isaac, he grabbed the wood, and he says, here's what he says. I don't want you to miss this. This is, this is faith. This is process. This is growing. This is discipleship. This is discipleship. He says to his servants, he says, we will go up and we will what? Come down. We will go up and we will come back. That's faith. That's faith when you know you're already moved to a point in your spirit that you're going to be obedient to what God told you to do and you're totally trusting in him to provide. But what if Abraham would have took matters into his own hands? We don't know what kind of mess we'd be in, do we? We know God would have figured something, but we know there'd been consequences to pay. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying to myself and to you, be patient. Wait on God. Trust God in your situation. Don't throw in the towel. And remember, he who began a good work in you can complete that work if you'll just allow him. But he won't force you. Say, so we don't have a forced religion. Christianity is not a forced religion like other religions. It's not, a, it's not a forced religion. God won't force you, but God can do the impossible. We'll go up and we'll come down. Whatever that means for you, whatever that situation means for you, he can do that individually. Whatever that means, and i can tell you what it means for us corporately as a church, we will go up and we will come down. The Lord Jesus, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's an emphatic promise that, thank God, is not in my power, strength, or ability because it would fail miserably. But it's in the heartbeat of God. And God says, I will build it, and I will join others to become a part of it. And I will strengthen your faith in the process to be who I've called you to be and to do the work that I left you in the world to do. So that was Abraham. And here's what I love about Abraham. Not only did he leave the land of Haran, Not only did he uh, trust God when God said, I'll I'll give you a son and came to him the second time, he climbed Mount Moriah with that same son, and he did not withhold anything from God. So the question for me and the question for you is, are you withholding anything from God right now in your life? Are you withholding anything from God? Or another way to phrase that is, have you elevated anything in your life to a higher status than God? See it all the time. People elevate their spouse above God. People elevate their job above God. People elevate their teams against God. Now I'm not just saying that because Alabama won. I'm a fan. Roll Tide, but more, more Grace Two Power Two. We always said that, right? But we elevate stuff above God. And God says, "I, I will have there, there will be no other God." Are you withholding anything from God? Are you elevating anything above Him? And then the third and last impossible situation is this. What seems impossible is this, that we can, this rescue, the rescue seems impossible. How can we be rescued in our sin nature, deserving hell, and the rescue is by grace through faith? By grace through faith, Romans 4, 13 through 25. And I want you to see why I'm pointing this stuff out because there is some theology in this message, and in every message there should be uh, some theology and some doctrine, but you really need to grasp this and see it, especially with what's going on in our day and our time with occultic religions and others teaching that it's by your works that you gain status. But it's not by your works. So look at Romans chapter 4, 13 through 25 as we move to wrapping this up this morning. He says, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the everybody say it. Law, but through the righteousness of faith. Now, why is that so important? Because the law, Jesus said, I don't come, I didn't come to abolish the law, I come to fulfill the law. So so Jesus is saying that the law is not bad, but the law can only condemn. It can't change so when you look at the teaching of Islam when you look at those who do not believe that God is God oh well they say they do pastor they tell me that God and Allah are the same oh really ask them if Allah has a son named Jesus ask them if that son became flesh and died on a cross and three days later resurrected himself. Or if they'll say that's all a hoax and a lie. Ask them if they're depending on the fulfillment of the law and their works to get them into the kingdom of God. Because they'll say yes on that one and that that one's true. But he said not by the law. But through the righteousness of faith. For it is in the for if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. You get that? We've been talking about this whole promise of God. If it's up to you keeping the law and the law itself, there's no faith, there's no promise. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why, verse 16, it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace. Everybody say grace. And be guaranteed to all of his offspring, not only to adherent of the law, but also to the ones who share the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God, in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead. Somebody say amen if you've been given life and you were dead. And calls into existence the things that do not exist. In In hope, verse 18, he believed against hope. That he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith. Give me faith. Man, we sing that. Such a powerful song. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old. Did you know when you get to a point where you look at your own strength and ability and realize you're as good as dead, then God can start to use you? <laughs> we think we're somebody. Or when he considered the bareness of Sarah's womb, no distrust made him waver concerning the promises of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Don't you throw in the towel on your marriage. Don't you throw in the towel and listen to the devil that you can't break that addiction or that habit. Don't you throw in the towel on your wayward child. Don't you throw in the towel on a God who will provide for you and give you a better job if you'll trust him and meet your every need when you fully trust him. That is why, verse 22, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteous, but the word, the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone. Amen. But for ours also, it will be counted to us, get this, who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Now, as you bow your head and you close your eyes, I want to make sure you don't miss the beauty of this. I want to make sure you don't miss the beauty of God's love and what has taken place in this passage. I want to bring great clarity on this. We've already established that there are those of occultic religions such as Islam, such as Mormonism, that they're putting their faith in the keeping of the law. They're they're putting their faith in their good deeds that their good outweighs their bad. Scripture's very clear that we bring nothing good to the table, spiritually speaking, that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Scripture's very clear that what the law couldn't do, even though the law has good intentions and, and, and helps bring about order, but what it could not do is change your life and change your heart. So when you look at the cross, when you look at the center cross... I want you to look at the two beside it real quick. Because you know what the two beside it remind me of? They remind me that without the middle cross, everybody should have died the way the two on the side died. That's what the law brought. The law brought justice, but the law brought death. But what the law couldn't do grace did see you got the law on the two side crosses but you can't put the law in the middle cross you put grace you put grace when you put gra- when you have God's riches at Christ's expense on the middle cross then I want to tell you something There's been a way paved for you. There's been a way paved for me. There's a God who loves you. He's never had one ounce of hate towards you. He's never had any one ounce of hate toward anybody He's created because He created us and He said, it is not just good. It is very good. And then He also, even when we sin and He couldn't look upon our sin, He still had a heart for us. As his creation, so he sent his son. He sent grace to die in our place. And if you will come through grace by faith or by grace through faith, you can be saved. You have been saved. You can be saved. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast and say, I got myself into your kingdom because of my good outweighing my bad. I don't know where you're at today, but I know the Spirit of God's in this room. You say, well, I'm not of the occultic religion. Hey, you might be of the Baptist, Assembly God, Methodist, Catholic, and you've made the same mistake by placing your faith in your church attendance, by placing your faith in that you're a church member, or that you've always been a Christian. Impossible. You've got to be... Reborn by the Spirit of God. So maybe you're here today and you want to call upon the God of salvation. You want, to, you, want, you want to not trust in yourself, but accept His gift. And humbly come and accept His gift of grace. Right there where you're at, tell Him, say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I have sinned. And I know that I deserve hell, And I know You're the only one that can forgive me of my sins. And I ask you, Lord, right now, Lord, I accept your work at the cross. Forgive me. I turn from myself. And Lord, I cast my eyes on you. And I ask you, Lord, to come into my heart. I receive your gift of faith and be my Lord and Savior today. I will live for you no matter the cost. And I will tell others starting today of this decision to follow you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Can we stand all across this room and give God glory?